and welcome to the Free Like Me podcast by FLM. This podcast aims to help people like you navigate the world of financial planning. We'll be delving into things that we and our clients care about, talking about hot topics, and inviting you to get to know our team a little bit better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Free Like Me podcast with myself, Ben Smith, and I'm delighted today to be joined by two lovely guests, uh, one of which is the normal host to this um, podcast. So, so Caitlin, um, I hope it's going to feel okay being on the other side of the table for once and uh, being asked the questions. Yeah, I'm going to be exposed today, actually. <laughs> so yeah. Looking forward to it. Great. And um, my second guest, Charlotte uh, Olson, already been on the podcast uh, once or twice. Um, very much someone who can add a lot of value to our conversation today. Uh, Charlotte, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. We're looking forward to it. So today is um, one of our episodes in our series about habits and behaviours with money. And this is something we talk about very frequently to clients, particularly when we first meet them. Um, we very much believe that that how wealthy and how finance, financially secure an individual becomes is often down to the habits and behaviours they get themselves into, as opposed to how much money that they make during their career. And that can be seen all over uh, the world and all, all throughout mainstream press. Um, there's lots of people out there that have made lots and lots of money and end up not having much after a period of time. Um, and that is mainly down to spending habits, which um, we'll touch on a little bit today. And the real reason we wanted to do this podcast was to talk about how as parents you can instill good habits and behaviours when it comes to money for your children from a young age. And I think this is something that every parent worries about. Um, it's something that is rarely touched on in schools. And to discuss it in more detail today, we've got two of our advisors who are very well versed in this area. So um, coming over to you first, Charlotte, um, habits and behaviours with money, it, it doesn't necessarily sound like something that children need to worry about. So why are we really drilling down into this today? Yeah, I think it's just really interesting we say children don't need to worry about it. Um, yet when we talk about behaviours, behaviours are actually, and well, behaviours and habits are embedded by the age of seven. So I'd say this topic is actually most relevant for children. Um, so by the age of seven, which is shocking enough, but actually the basic money concepts are grasped by three or four. Um, yet I think in a study went out and only 4% of parents have spoken about money openly with children by the age of five. Um, so that's where the gap lies. You know, there's 96% of children. Where are they going to learn those habits from their parents? Yet it's not openly talked about. So it's mm. going to be through watching them and, you know, parents being those role models in terms of learning. And I think that's where it's most interesting because it's looking at change and what's happened recently so the way we deal with money is changing. It's becoming virtual. It's becoming invisible. So obviously, back in back in the old days, you'd have coins. Children would see parents transacting with money via coins, via their own piggy banks. And now, you know, it's invisible. And so we need to make much bigger effort to make it visible to children so they learn. And I think it's it seems very unnatural, doesn't it, to talk to your children about money from from some of those young ages that you said and 
I think one of the things we'll probably touch on today is is some of the ways you you could start to have those conversations because, you know, talking to a, a five year old about money is going to be quite a dif- difficult task. But I guess it's just getting them used to some of the habits and behaviours and and leading by example as well. So, um, Caitlin, what what's your thoughts on that first question? Yes, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, Ben, because sometimes I do reflect on my own childhood and how that's impacted my life as an adult when it comes to money. And certainly, you know, when it comes to the investing world, I grew up in a family where my parents were very property focused. They didn't invest in the stock market themselves. They didn't know much about it. We didn't talk about it as a family. And when I joined this industry about 10 years ago, I learned so much. It was genuinely like learning a new language. And I feel so grateful that I've been able to learn so much because I do think this will put me in really good stead for the future. But I also look back and I think, wow, if only I'd known this at a much younger age, if I'd started earlier, you know, you learn about the power of compound growth and it's all well and good starting that in your late 20s but you know getting started when you're really young is so so valuable and even my partner he um has six godchildren and instead of giving them things that will you know waste away or be material he actually puts money into their um junior ices their stocks and shares junior ices so that actually they're going to have a little nest egg for for the future and at at the time, they probably don't realize the value of that. But again, you know, he, I don't think he talks about it with the kids. And again, that should be something that we should all be doing. You know, I'm not going to give you a gift, but don't worry, I haven't forgotten your birthday. Actually, I've put some money aside for your future. And, you know, the more you talk about it, the more natural that um, topic and conversation becomes to them. Because as Charlotte said, if we're learning these habits from a really young age, we should be we should be talking about them really openly. Yeah, and I think make, making money um, from your investments is something that's really exciting. And, um, you know, I know personally I was uh, I got off my, my dad when I got to my 16th birthday, purchased me uh, a few hundred pounds of shares and I had to go and pick the, the shares that I wanted to invest in. So it was a really good learning curve for me researching those companies and, and trying to work out where would be best to invest my money. And, and actually then watching that for, for years to come afterwards um, was a, was an amazing learning curve to me. And I, I still think one of the reasons that I, I came into the industry we're in today was was down to that. Um, and I think that the, the, the real um, bit we wanted to drill down in today is what you what the parents could be doing in this space. Mm. Um, so I think it all starts with education, as we all know, and clearly it's not particularly uh, prevalent on the uh, syllabuses in schools. So we don't tend to learn about money when we're in school. Um, so how can you educate your children, Charlotte? You know, I know you've got two young ones. What's what's your strategy going to be? Yeah, so I think for me, it's kind of um, segmenting between the young and the older. And I think, as Caitlin was talking about, as you're older, having that visual experience of I've invested into XYZ share is a really good way of buying in that interest. But um, going back to kind of me, I've got a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And I think for the young age, it's it's piggy banks. It's, you know, making, as I say, um, cash real again through coins. Um, so buying them a piggy bank and allowing them to visually see that money and save it. And then I think it's about basics. So splitting money into three categories for children. It's their fun pot of money. So something fun they want to do, buy that toy or buy that sweet. But showing them that's not with all of their money, that's a portion. Then there's the other portion of money, which is things they may need. For example, I need a new hat for my holiday. 
So in relation to that, to what you want versus what you need. And then there's that final pot of money, which is what you need to save for in the future. Um, so I'm saving for my bike. That's going to take me two years. So it's as simple as that. It's those concepts that they will understand from a young age that actually we talk to clients every single day about, which is what is your essential expenditure? What is your discretionary expenditure? And what is your disposable income that you can save for your future? And really, those three things are the crux of the meetings we have with clients that you can teach children at a really young age. And then, as I say, as as the kids grow older, you can then make it relatable. So I spoke to someone who bought pig shares, for example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as soon as, you know, a kid can visualize what that means, make it real and then, you know, advance their journey that way. That's really interesting. And uh, it's, it's probably something that happened naturally 40 or 50 years ago when when times were tougher and you couldn't just you know log on to amazon and buy something that would be there the very next day i think i think those habits naturally happened didn't they as as well as you said through money being a physical um thing that we all held so it's really great to to come up with a little system like that and i think you know any any parents could start to instill something like that for their children um, so super useful. Um, what what else is out there, Caitlin, in terms of education for for children when it comes to money? Yeah, so I think if you if you think about it in a few simple steps, um, so you know when when they're young, as Charlotte mentioned, you're really starting with the basics. So that can be all the things Charlotte's mentioned, but also using um, books as well. There are a lot of good children's books out out there that now also help to educate children. So uh, using those books to help them, uh, our investment director, Rob Gardner, has done a book called Save Your Acorns, which we would really recommend that everyone picks up. Um, You can get it on Amazon. This sounds like a a massive shameless plug, but it's not. It's really brilliant. And we often give that to clients as well. So um, use of books. Um, Also, when you're purchasing something, you can show the child the receipt as well. So, you know, usually, I mean, I don't know, but I don't keep my receipts as often anymore because you can obviously check your bank statements, but actually physically keeping the receipt, showing that to the child, explaining. And again, that's coming down to that invisibility factor. It's just making a little bit more real, talking about whether you're using a debit card or a credit card, all of those types of things. Um, So that's a first kind of simple step from a young age. Um, So then there's um, instilling that savings habit. So again, it's using language um, to instill those habits, talking about when you are saving yourself, introducing, as Charlotte mentioned, the piggy bank as well. Um, And then also there are opportunities to use apps and things these days or Go Henry cards. So you can also introduce more virtual forms of savings as well. Um, I think the next really important bit is using um, opportunities for the the children to actually create and earn the money themselves because we know that um, money that is earned is valued differently to money that's just received. So rather than just simply giving a child an allowance, you actually give them opportunities to earn that allowance through things like chores or, you know, good homework scores, et cetera. Um, And then after that, it's about helping them make those smart decisions with their money. So again, that's what Charlotte mentioned about creating that budget, helping them to identify the different pots, what they're going to be used for, and then tracking them along the way. And again, you can, you know, do that simply with younger children, or you can do it with these kind of smarter apps as they get a little bit older. Um, And then after you've you know got them into those good savings habits they might be a little bit older they're earning a bit of money themselves you've then 
really got to teach them how to grow their money. So we we know that in order to truly build wealth, it's not just about savings. You also need to be able to grow that money. So again, it's teaching them about investing, compound growth, how it all works. Um, again, you can use online classes and books and, and different things to help your education um, on that. And then the final one, which we've already touched upon, which is really, really important, is just modeling um, through good behavior. So this one, I think, is almost a little bit less obvious than than going in and trying to educate your child. But it's it's the way in which you discuss and handle money within the household itself that they will pick up on. As we all know, children do absorb a lot more than than you think. Um, you know, Charlotte's had some funny anecdotes recently with the kids with absorbing and and parroting certain things but um it might not be as obvious the habits that you're instilling in the children so you know the way in which you and you as an individual or you with your your household discuss and and use money again that that will definitely be really really important it's um it's really interesting that you talk about the behaviours you display as a parent to your children. And I think this is one that we see time and time again. If if a parent um, is very lavish with their expenditure and their lifestyle, I think there's a very, very strong chance that the, ch- the children will pick up on some of that. And it might not mean they're the same when, when they grow up, because obviously there's other factors that come into this. Um, but you probably do have to be careful, don't you? If you're someone that likes to go and spend money and buy nice things, if if the kids are always there and seeing that, then they may just think that that's a normal part of life. And when they grow up, if they don't necessarily have the same financial means, it, it could get them into some real trouble. So I think it's a really good one to pick up on. And it, it's probably not something that we really think about. You know, if you take your kids out and you go shopping, you, you, you probably don't expect an effect it could have to them years down the line. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember I used to um, go out for lunch with my mum when we were a teenager and I'd always wait until she'd had some wine and then suggest we go shopping because <laughs> I knew I had a much better chance of buying me some things if she had a couple of glasses of wine. And I don't think that's a very good money habit <laughs> to be instilling in your Top children. Tip from Caitlin. <laughs> well, ho- ho- hopefully Lisa's listening to the pod. <laughs> No, I agree. I think, Ben, that's a really good point, which is that, you know, it's just consciously realising that the thing that your child will see is you spending. And what they won't see is how you're saving, even if you are. So it's just trying to show them that it's not all about spending. You know, you have to save alongside that. And just making that simple step and that simple conscious effort to explain that um, will be really valuable. Yeah, and one of the things we do with clients um, is obviously try and involve children at some point in the journey and obviously it's not necessarily relevant when the children are really young but at some point they probably need to start to learn about some of the assets that their parents hold and and, and what they mean and and actually some education around how they've grown their money and the investments that they have is can be really healthy and it doesn't have to be that the children know everything that that might not necessarily be what a client would like or, or would feel is appropriate um, but some sort of education to investments and how they've worked and, and how they work for their parents particularly if they've done it well I think that's a, a really healthy thing that we as advisors can support clients with. Um, I, I just wanted to touch on one other thing that that sort of came across me when we were talking then um, 
In terms of wealthy individuals, obviously a lot of the clients we deal with are in a very privileged position where they, they, they have lots of money and they've saved well and, and they have the freedom to do what they want to do. And, and with that, they have the freedom to spend a lot of money on their children. So how do you strike a balance as a, as a wealthy individual between you know, making sure your children have a nice upbringing and um, an enjoyable life, but not making sure they feel like everything is always there for them and, and they're not going to have to work in the future. I don't know if you've got any, any anecdotes around that, that Charlotte. Um, again, not necessarily anecdotes, but I was going to say getting the right balance. So I, I think what we can do and help clients do with that is say, right, so you're spending a lot on holidays and things, but what about looking at some investments in the children's name to show that you're also saving for the future? And just some kind of facts in terms of how that can make a difference. Um, a parent can invest 2880 very specific amount, but that's their maximum allowance, into a pension. It gets grossed up free um, with HMRC's top up, even though the child obviously isn't working, to 3600 if a, if a parent did that every year from zero to 18 and then left the money until 65, that child would have a million pounds in their pension pot. So that's that's going to make a really big difference to that child's future more than, you know, the holiday, which, you know, you can do together in tandem. But it's just that, right, what are you spending versus what are you saving? And the same with ISAs. So you can put £200 a month into an ISA from birth to 18. And by 18, that pot will have enough £70,000, which is the average house deposit amount um, for a first time buyer. So, you know, I think it's getting that balance right and coming back to that point of letting the child see the saving as well as the spending. Yeah, and it's sometimes as well, coming on to your point about how do you strike the balance right with making sure that, you know, you're not also going to ruin the child's life where they they then think that, you know, they're privileged beyond the point of having to work. And I was with some clients yesterday and we've been discussing getting their children involved uh, in their finances. So we've built up some nice pots for each of those children. They've got some money in ISAs and some money um, separately outside of ISAs as well. And the kids are now in their kind of early to mid twenties. And as you know, as, as a team, we've decided, right, is now the right time to get the children involved in those um, decisions. So get get the children involved in those decisions around the money so what we're doing is the uh, my clients were sat down and had the conversation with the kids initially and said look we want to make you aware that we've got this money set aside for you and uh, one of them apparently was extremely overwhelmed and just couldn't believe it and then what we said is right now they're going to book separate meetings with us to discuss the pot of money so that we can explain everything to them, uh, talk around their options, give them a, a you know a, a bit more understanding of what they can do with that money. And it's very much not there to be blown. It's a, a nest egg for their future. It might be for a property purchase in a couple of years time. But I think also by empowering the child, you help them to understand and make better decisions anyway, rather than and not empowering them, but you have to choose the right moment as well, because naturally if they're at a stage where they're over 18 and the money is legally owned by them, but you don't think they're, you know, mature enough to, to be making those decisions, you have to bear that in mind, I think. So there are a few different ways you can tackle it really. Yeah. And I think the budgeting piece and getting the kids into those habits is, is a huge one um, from, from an early age. And, and obviously there's lots of good apps these days that 
that you can use, particularly when you start to have a bank account. There's accounts like Monzo, where I know they split your expenditure into different pots and you can have different uh, named pots within that account. So you might have a sort of holiday fund and, and all of these um, different things that you're saving for. So again, I think engaging ch children in those sorts of tools is a really helpful thing from a young age. Um, the other one I wanted to touch on was just around um, social media, because I think clearly the way in which we learned about money is going to be very different to how the next generation uh, learn about money. And and there's already, um, you know, countless different advertisements about things like cryptocurrency on social media and and our children are going to be exposed to these things. So I wonder whether we, we need to, you know, make children aware of this. I know I was speaking to a, a, a client on the on recently, um, and he was saying how um, one of his children got into some really um, bad uh, habits with gambling. So during lockdown, the child had just started working. Um, he was obviously uh, on furlough and at home, and and had some money in his bank account. And he started putting some pretty heavy um, bets on various different sporting events and, and losing quite a lot of money. So, again, I think that comes from from social media and friends and advertisements and all those things. So I guess you've got to be careful uh, as a as a parent, Charlotte, to, to make sure they don't pick up those bad habits. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's just, again, making sure you remember you're the role model. So. How, be careful of what you say in your household. And I have exactly the same example of a client who, you know, with things like cryptocurrency, it's typically people hearing of these stories from their friends and thinking it's the next best thing. And you've got to jump on board this amazing bandwagon right now. And, you know, a friend was describing, uh, sorry, a client was describing um, this investment in that way to me. And I was just trying to explain to her, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and, you know, she and her family had invested heavily into it and it basically all turned out to be a scam and she lost a million pounds. Um, and I was just looking at the way she was explaining it in her family. Um, you know, it was all kind of red flags to me because this is the industry I work in, but to her, it wasn't at all. Um, and so I think, just as you say, with social media, it's a very powerful tool for people to think that they need to just pile into what their friends are doing. And it's just consciously being careful about, um, how children are picking up on this in the family household and and the other thing i would actually add on to all of this is that i believe that there is a responsibility you know from the government to change how we learn about money through education as well and it's quite interesting the metro ran a a survey as to the you know the top 30 skills that people wished that they had learned in school and the top three were how to budget the importance of insurance and how loans work. And again, the loan piece, I think comes back to, you know, that, that client you mentioned who was gambling. And I've also come across clients who said, Oh, you know, my daughter, I had no idea, but she racked up loads of credit card debt and it was all at really high interest rates. And so really we do need to be pushing that um, agenda with, with, you know, the government yeah. to say, you know, financial education needs to be on the syllabus um, because it yeah. is really important as we get influence from more and more areas and we are learning so much more and we have access to so much more information as as a, a race, really. Uh, influence from so many different avenues and it's it's really important that, that we do start to learn these skills through education as well, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, 
Go on, Charles. I was just going to say, you know, coming back to that age bracket where this is really important, it's in primary school years. And I think the problem is there's so much on the curriculum already, you know, the maths and the English that it gets dropped. And also those primary school teachers, you know, finances are very personal to the individual and they don't feel confident themselves talking about finances. Maybe they haven't got themselves in a good position or just don't feel like they have the knowledge. And so I think it's just stripping it down into those basic concepts that everyone can get on board with. Um, and it's funny, I was talking to my husband, Alex, about this, and he he always says to me when I say, would you like, what would you like for your birthday? He says, I don't think I need anything. And he always uses the word need. And that's something he learned in his primary school um, days. He thinks from his primary school teacher, she would always explain what you want and what you need and the difference between the two. And he'll always differentiate them out. And I used to laugh and say, but what do you want? And now we've got children, I really come back to that point. I think it's really good that that's been embedded in him from such a young age, whether he wants it or needs it and differentiates the two. And I think, you know, if we if we strip it down to those basics, people will feel more empowered to be able to talk about it to children rather than the complexities of all the financial matters out there in the world. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because spending is so much easier these days. So, so you can tap a few buttons on a, a smartphone and you all of a sudden... You know, you, you you can buy anything pretty much these days. So, back to the wanting and needing things. You know, it, it probably does really need to be made clear to children what what are the things that they should be saving up for, and what are the things they actually need to purchase now. And you know, how making that spending decision might affect the next thing that they want to buy, which might only be just round the corner. And they might have bought something that they didn't really need um, and they don't have the money to buy the thing that they actually really, really needed in, in a few months time. So one of the other interesting um, stories that you often hear is how different generations feel about taking risk. And there's been lots of studies over over history to say that children that grew up in periods where stock markets performed very poorly are naturally then really risk averse for the rest of their life. Whereas children that grew up in in years where stock markets were rallying and and shares were making lots of money, they're naturally um, very, um, they're very prone to risk throughout their life. So again, I think just just recognizing that the scenario in which a child is exposed to is going to have a big effect on their on their long term choices that they make with money. And again, just just uh, basing any choice on a very small period of data is is often not the best way forward so again as as financial planners obviously we look at the long term we don't try and look at the short term um and i think that education of children is something that that definitely needs to be um increased in schools and certainly something as flm that we've been doing quite a lot of in recent years and, and working with um the professional sports clubs to to educate their young players on how they should be behaving with their money and the importance of starting early, all those sorts of lessons. So again, um, very much open to doing more of those things. If any of the listeners feel that there's a, an opening where some education might be needed in, in schools or other institutions. Um, so we talked about quite a bit today, um, just tying up here. Um, I wanted to do a quick uh, last top tip from each of us just to really summarize everything. Um, so coming over to you first, Charlotte. Um, top tip, I would say probably the splitting into the three categories with for children with either the piggy bank or whatever mode of saving. So into the A, the fun stuff that they want, so that toy or that sweet. The B, what they need, so I use the example of the hat for the holiday. And the C, the longer term savings, so obviously not retirement, but buying that new bike. And as I say, that's very much what we do with clients today, so it's very relatable to the conversations we have. And... Um... 
Kaylin? My top tip would be just start at a young age, open up that conversation, use language that's going to influence them and get them understanding. And, you know, the use of, of books and other resources like um, podcasts and, and online classes and, and videos so that you can really you know, get them learning um, as soon as possible. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll give mine as well. Mine's definitely to uh, a, a, when a child hits a certain age, and and for me it was sixteen, but it it might be slightly earlier um, for for children these days. Um, instead of giving them a birthday gift, give them a hundred pounds or a couple of hundred pounds, whatever it needs to be. It doesn't need to be much to go and and buy some shares and and you know make sure they do some research and really think about what they want to invest in and and ask them why they want to invest in that. Um, and it may be that they invest in in something they really like, like a specific football club or or a product that they're really interested in, um, probably a, a gaming product or, or Fortnite or something like that these days. Um, and, and, and then they can continue to monitor the performance of that company and understand both making money on shares and, and things like dividends, but also risk, because obviously those those shares will go down as well as up. Um, so. Thanks very much for joining us today, um, Caitlin and Charlotte, and thanks to everyone for listening. Um, Hopefully there was some useful stuff in there and stay tuned for some more Habits and Behaviours uh, podcasts in the coming weeks.